Amen. Well, good morning. Welcome to our third week of Advent. As we talk about the arrival and the coming of love. We're just going to let this sit and marinate how God is love. And that is the ultimate motive why He gave us Jesus. Question. Um, how many of us have a junk drawer in a house? You guys know what I'm talking about? Is that drawer where you just put the most random things that you could, that you have no place to put it on? Uh, maybe it's a bunch of rubber bands or pens, or maybe you have like 85 cents left on a Starbucks gift card or a CPK gift card. Maybe you have staples or playing cards, nail clippers, or old receipts. You don't know where to put it, so you just kind of put it all in the junk drawer, right? Um, you know, how many of you have more than one junk drawer? How many have two? Three. I, uh, this is church, so I'm not going to lie. I think I have about five uh, junk drawers in my house. Two in the bathroom alone where it was just uh, so many stuff with three boys. We just kind of put random stuff that we can't categorize, that we can't put into anything else. That uh, Everything goes in this uh, junk drawer. You know... I think the same thing can be said about love. That love has become this thing where it's meaningless and it's an undefined word. It's devoid of any meaning. I mean, if you were to ask a random person, like, what do you love? And you will get a plethora of answers. It usually starts with, uh, what do you mean? What do you mean, what do I love? And they would respond. The answers would be, I love going to the water, to I love my dog, to I love the cowboys. That's not a good thing to love. <laughs> um, or I love my wife, or I love my kids, or I love, I love living here in Hawaii. Whatever it is, the range of emotions or the range of meanings varies in this concept of love. It's become just this drunk drawer. Uh, you know, in Greek, they have four words uh, to communicate love, uh, you know. Agape or agape being the highest one. There's brotherly love, uh, brother, uh, erotic love, and just regular love. And then there's this unconditional love. But today we're going to talk about uh, love from uh, the aspect or from the perspective of John the Beloved. John the Beloved, the Apostle John. So let's turn to 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 through 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we look to you as not only the source of life, but the source of love. We can all um, distort the meaning of love. And so, Lord, we look to you. We look to your God-breathed, God-inspired word to, for us to know what love is and to live out that love and so, Father, I pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear. Give us, Lord, a mind to understand, a heart to welcome your word as truth. And would you give us hands and feet 
to live it out so that we can become more like your son Jesus in everything that we do. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, if there's one disciple that I could relate to and that I could just really have a heart-to-heart, just resonate with, I think it would be John the Beloved. Not only because we have the same name, John, but I just, I think his demeanor and his character, he had this sincere devotion to Jesus. He had this simplicity and clarity of faith. He was like the oldest living uh, apostle or disciple. Uh, John, he's pretty a simple dude, just kind of like me, you know. Uh, he wasn't afforded uh, the gift of the detail of uh, orientation to detail like Matthew. He wasn't sharp and clever and he wasn't the physician like Luke was. He wasn't a um, theological mastermind like uh, the Apostle Paul. But John, he had the gift of simplicity and clarity. He was very black and white on certain things that um, you know, he didn't necessarily go into theory or ideas or propositions. Like he pretty much nails it and, and makes things very categorical and very easy. He was unambiguous and definitional clarity. I mean, he was a simple fisherman. He made things black and white. If you're a fan of the office, office reference alert, hey, um, it's like when Michael Scott um, asked Oscar, when he told them that um, they were over the budget and uh, they had a surplus. He said, uh, explain it to me like an eight-year-old. And he couldn't understand it as an eight-year-old. He goes, explain it to me like a five-year-old. And I, I believe, you ever notice that when uh, believers first come to know faith, everyone tells them to read what gospel first? The gospel of John. And... and in our text uh, this morning, there's a clarity that John makes. He makes these very categorical black and white statements. Um, he, he says, in this we know that love is. In this what we know. And then he clarifies it with that. He makes these statements. For example, 1 John chapter 4, verse 13. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. 1 John chapter 5, verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. In 1 John 4, 17. By this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as He is also, so also are we in this world. You can compare that to 1 John three sixteen and verses 19 to 21. So in other words... Uh, John, he makes it very clear what love is. It's not like this, oh, I love my dog, I love my cat, or I love the cowboys, and, you know, different levels of love. He's like, no, this, by this, we know what love is, and he defines what love is. So in this advent of love, the waiting with anticipation, preparing our lives, centering our priority and our focus on the arrival of love. Here's the main point from 1 John chapter 4. Would you write this down? The love of God is manifested in the person and the work of Jesus. 
Write that in. The love of God is manifested in the person and the work of Jesus. And the word that I had you write down there is the word manifest. Okay, manifest. Uh, which means to cause something to be fully known by, reveal, by revealing clearly and in some detail. It means to make known or to make plain or to reveal, to bring to light or to disclose. Now, this word manifest in Greek is phanerao, uh, okay? And this is one of John's theological terms that's pretty prominent in, in the Johannine epistles, meaning this idea of manifest, it encompasses uh, who Jesus is and his ministry and his work. For example, in 1 John chapter 1, 2, it says in the life in Jesus, it was made manifest. In chapter 3, verse 5, you know that he appeared, he appeared or he made, was made manifest to take away sin. In verse 8, it says the reason of God the Son of God appeared or made manifest was to destroy the works of the devil. So this word manifest, it described the ministry of Jesus. Not only in ministry, but also it, the second thing is that this word manifest, it describes the second coming of Jesus. 1 John chapter 2, verse 28 says, And now, little children, abide in Him so that when He appears, when He arrives... Okay, when the advent, the second advent or the second coming of Jesus, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. So not only does it describe his ministry or his second coming, but it also describes his resurrection. In John chapter 21, verse 1, and also in verse 14, it says, After this, Jesus revealed or made himself manifest to his disciples. So after Jesus was resurrected, he stayed here for 40 days. And according to John, the way he described it is that he, Jesus was made manifest. But more importantly, or as we talk about today, is that this word manifest, it describes the incarnation. In other words, it describes the God of this universe, the God of this universe taking on skin, taking on bones, taking on flesh. And the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. He was in the beginning with God, and He was made manifest. So God, the love of God, is manifested how? The love of God came down on this earth how? Through the person and the work of Jesus. And I want to talk about three aspects of the nature of love. Uh, the first is this. The nature of God's love is that it is one of self-sacrifice. Look at verse 9b. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world. Did you guys catch that? that the love of God, it was made manifest. And the way that he manifested himself is that what? He gave his only son into the world. John, he makes two points that are explicit in this context. 
That is, it's God's love which initiated the plan of salvation. The word um, in the Greek there of the love of God, it's in the genitive, all right? It's an objective genitive, which simply means this, that God is the agent of love. That not only is he the agent of love, but God himself is the source of love. God being the agent and the source of love, he made himself known. He had this full disclosure. God made a full revelation and he revealed himself and he revealed his love to us. He didn't reveal it in the cosmos. He didn't reveal it in the stars and the sky. He didn't reveal it in outer space. He didn't reveal it to the sky that we can't reach and we can't touch. He didn't reveal it in the mountains, but he revealed his love to us, to me and to you. That this all-powerful, all-knowing God, God who is spirit, who is everywhere at the same time, he limited himself to space and time. He took on flesh. He took on weakness. He took on hunger. Why? To demonstrate his love, his sacrificial love for you and for me. And how did he demonstrate his love? He made, how did he make it manifest? When he sent his only son. Now, this word only son is a pretty significant theological term. Uh, in Greek, it's monogenes. All right. And it means that it is unique in the sense of being the one of its kind. It's used in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his what? Monogenes, his only begotten son. It's used in Hebrews 11 verse 7, where it says, it talks about Abraham and Isaac, he who had received the promises presented his only son. Wait, didn't Abraham another, have another son named Ishmael? No, yes he did, but the, word this, the way that this word is used, it's described that... Isaac was a special, he was a unique son because it was through Isaac, the Arab promise, through his wife, Sarah, that Isaac was born. In other words, Jesus is unique. He is holy. There is nobody like him. He is one in a kind. How do we know that God loves us? Because God entered space and time. He entered into our world, which He created, and He gave us. He sent us. The word sent there is uh, where we get the word apostle, sent out once, apostolane, that God sent who? This unique Son into the world. We all know John 3.16, but how many of us know 1 John 3.16? 1 John 3.16 says this, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. This is the nature of God's love, that the Father sent his special, his unique, his one and only Son. God didn't send angels. He didn't send forth uh, spirits. Right? God sent himself and he sacrificed. This is my only son. This is my 
special, monogenao, special, only begotten Son. He is God Himself. I'm going to display, I'm going to show the arrival of my love for you by giving you my Son. You see, love is not so much a feeling as it is a sacrificial commitment, a sacrificial giving. Remember, the context of 1 John 4, 9 is 1 John 4, 7, and 8. Beloved, let us love one another. For God is love. Last week, um, I spent six days in California. What happened, we got a phone call. Uh, for my sister who said uh, during actual Thanksgiving Day that my mom had a little accident where her foot got run over. And you guys already know my mom is, um, she needs a walker to walk. Um, she's had uh, two procedures, drilled uh, two holes on the side of her head because she fell on her head twice. And, and so her health is failing. And um, and her health is not failing, but it's degrading. And so, the you know, my dad called. He's like, "Hey, could you help? Could you do you think you could come down and help your mom? Just to kind of be around, help her go to the bathroom, help her lift her up because uh, she can't lift herself and." You know, knowing that last Friday um, it was our volunteer appreciation dinner. It's the one time a year where we, I could, I as your pastor, I could just show my appreciation for all of our servants. I had to, we had Sunday night service, but uh, you know, Thank God for my wife. He said, babe, you need to be with your mom and whatever you need to do, I, I got your back. So she held the fort down at church. She emceed, she facilitated. Uh, we had Zach, um, Pastor Zach minister to us, but like I can't tell you um, the, the privilege it is to be able to lift and carry my mom uh, and just to be with her 24 hours a day for the last six days. And the same mom who used to carry me when I was young, when I was helpless, to be able to reciprocate that, to have the blessing of caring for and loving and nurturing my own mom. You see, love is not... It doesn't say, for God so loved the world that he had chicken skin and he had warm, fuzzy feelings. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave. And the type of love that we anticipate, the arrival of love, God's love, is one that is sacrificial. He gave his unique, only begotten son. And can I just say this? Uh, as a church that your motives matter. Your motives matter. If we could learn anything from the love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13 is that 
right actions, or excuse me, uh, wrong motives, it ruins right actions. Paul said, if I have the tongues of angels, but I do not have love, I'm just a clanging symbol. If I give my body to be burnt, or if I give all that I have to the poor, but if I don't have love, if I don't have this motive of love for God and love for people, it profits me nothing, I gain nothing, I am nothing without love. And as we give, you know, and as we uh, sacrifice, remember the context of this is to love one another. Let's take into account how, mo- how important it is that our motives are right before God, that our motives are right in sacrificially giving. All right, number two is that the nature of God's love, it is for the benefit of others. It's for the benefit of others. Look at verse 9, uh, C. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us so that we might live through Him. You guys catch that? That when God gave His special, His unique, His one and only Son, He gave, the, the Father gave Him to us sacrificially, but the result or the purpose of God giving His Son is so that others, me and you, we can have what? We may live. I think there's a quote by Pastor Matt Chandler that really captures this principle and this truth where he says, outside of Jesus, you might exist, but you're not going to truly live. You guys got that? Outside of Jesus, you might experience all the blessings of common grace. Listen, you don't have to love God. You can hate Jesus and deny His existence and enjoy all the common gifts of grace. You could have a good meal. You could have a good night's sleep. You could make good, lasting friendships. You could make love. You can do all these things outside of knowing Jesus Christ. Uh, Anybody know? Uh, of someone who does these things like they are doing well and they're living hashtag they're living the good life and they don't know God they they reject Jesus and they're not following God but it seems like God is still blessing them with good health God is still blessing them with family that's called common grace and the beauty of common grace is that is that it's not just given for those people who love God it's given to all mankind And yet, we read over again and again in the Bible and what is the theme of many great movies and many um, great literature is this idea of being kind of alive but not yet fully alive. In other words, in the Gospel of John, one of the prominent things is coming to life. There's something behind beyond the thing that you're enjoying this common grace this gift of life there's something beyond that look at john chapter 1 verse 4 in him was life and the life was the light of man that god has given us life john chapter 4 verse 14 but whoever drinks of the water that i will give him will never be thirsty again The water that I will give him will become 
in him a spring of water welling up to what? Eternal life. That God has given us eternal life in Christ Jesus. John chapter 10 verse 10. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and life abundantly. Did you hear that? That you might be existing today. You woke up in beautiful Hawaiian A. You had a delicious cup of coffee. How many cold brewers are in the house, right? How many of you love cold brew? I myself, I love cold brew, but I also love, we have an uh, Nespresso machine. You could have good life and good health, but life, listen, not just life, but abundant life is found in Christ alone. You and I, we were created to be worshiping beings, all of the experiences of common grace that God has given to us is to lead us to the giver of gifts. And the reason you can't have life outside of Christ is that you have nowhere to roll it up to. In other words, if you're thinking, man, what a beautiful hike to Makapu, right? Or, dude, that poke was so ono. That poke was so good. That was so great. It was great, cool. Anybody could have that. Could have a beautiful experience and overlooking the ocean and overlooking the mountains or eating a good meal. That's all common grace. That's good gifts from God. But to let your heart be in wonder as you're worshiping through your walk or your hike or your swim or you're eating a delicious meal, how generous, how beautiful is the God that would think of flavors or sensations that would get you, listen, past um, the shadow into the form. In other words, you guys, the the... God, who is the giver of every good and perfect gift, James says, he casts a shadow of good things, the good things that he gives to each one of us. Health, life, food, making love, all these different things, they are a shadow and it should lead to the good form. See, when God gave, he gave so that we can enjoy and that we can have life and life to the full. Have you ever had like a good night out with friends? Now I'm not just talking about the 500 or 1,000 uh, Facebook friends that you have or thousands of followers you might have on Instagram, but like genuine friends, like four, six, eight, maybe 10 really close genuine friends. You Maybe you go out for the night and have dinner or they come over your house, you go over their, go over their house. And not only do you have laughter and love, but listen, there's a deep, genuine sense of connection. And that's a great thing. But listen, there's something beyond that. And that's the shadow of something, and that's not the form. The form is that God knew in our design when we were made in His image that we were made for community. And how good is God that he made us friend we made that we are able to have friendship so the good things why Jesus came is so that we could have life in him
And lastly, we're, we'll go ahead and close with this. And number three is the nature of God's love, which is forgiveness of sin. Let's look at verse 10. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And this is the deepest meaning of the term love, the forgiving of the sins of the beloved, where God forgives the one whom He loves. And that not only does He forgive, but He remembers them no more. This is what God has done for rebellious mankind, that He pardons their sins against Himself at His own cost. The word propitiation there means it's the means by which sins are forgiven. The means of forgiveness or the means of expiation. That's to say that God reconciled us to Himself. God forgave sins. He, he paid the debt that you and I deserve. He paid a debt that you and I could never pay on our own, that we incurred upon Himself, but because of His great love for us, He sent us Jesus to be the means by which forgiveness happens. It takes real love to forgive. I think about how many marriages ended up being in divorce because of this unwillingness to forgive, this unwillingness to let go of mistakes, this unwillingness to not remember anymore. Remember 1 Corinthians 13? That love keeps no record of wrongs. That when Jesus died on the cross, He took all of our debts. He nailed them to the cross. And it says, paid in full. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 says, Christ Himself is the means by which our sins are forgiven. The expiation. It's also found in Romans chapter 3, verse 25. God offered Him as a means by which sins are forgiven. The propitiation through faith in Jesus. I think one of the ways that I understand it and the simplicity of my mind, just like John, like a simple fisherman, a simple pastor, is uh, there's a story about a, a father and his son. Okay, uh, The son snuck out his father's car and went speeding, snuck out and went driving, going 80, 90, 100 miles an hour, driving through. He eventually gets caught. And because of the excessive speed that he went over the limit, he was arrested right away, brought in front of the judge. And the judge happened to be his father. Now his father is a good judge. He doesn't convict the innocent and he is righteous and he judges with equity and righteousness and knowing the bail for his son to be free was five hundred dollars 
and this put him in a conundrum because it's his son. He's a good judge. He can't just let his son go. But he also loves his son. So what does he do? He hits the gavel. Says guilty. You have to pay $500. Of course the son can't pay it on his own. And as he begins to be handcuffed and walks away, the son then, or the father rather, takes off his robe, pulls out his wallet, pulls out a checkbook and writes $500 and sets his son free. And this is our God. This is what Father God has done for us. That through his life, death and resurrection, by God sending his son Jesus, he canceled our debt. He canceled, he paid for the penalty of our sins that we deserve. And so we're going to partake of communion this morning. So would you get your bread and your cup ready? Well, the Bible says, For I delivered unto you, which I received, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread, he broke it, he gave thanks, he said, This is my body broken for you. Eat of this in remembrance of me. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your broken body. It's through you that we have peace. It's through you, Lord, that we are made whole. Thank you, God, that it's, it's your love, Lord, that motivated, that carried you to the cross. It's your love, Father, that sent your only unique, one and only special Son, only begotten Son, to come to this earth to demonstrate your love for us. Thank you, Jesus, that when you came, you have come to give us abundant life and that you've come to give us life. And so, Lord, I pray right now as we eat of this bread that you would bring wholeness to each one of us. I pray that you give us strength, that you would sustain us by your mercies. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and eat of the bread. In the same manner, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Drink of this as often as you eat, for as often as you eat of the bread and drink of the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's go ahead and proclaim the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and let's drink the cup together. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks again for joining us in our third week of Advent. I pray that you have just a sense of expectation and longing that your affections have been stirred for the second coming, the, sec the perusia uh, of Jesus. So uh, if you're able to join us, we'd love to see you, give you not just a virtual hug, but a for real kind hug, uh, Sunday, 5 p.m. at the Academy Learning Hub for um, in-person live service. We love you guys. Have an amazing week. Take care.